Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Some Other Sphere. If you enjoy it, please leave a rating on your preferred podcast platform or like and share it on social media, as it all really helps to promote the show. If you'd like to support the upkeep of the podcast as well, you can donate via Ko-fi. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash some other sphere podcast to find out more. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at spherical underscore pod. Thank you again. And now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. In this episode, my guest is paranormal investigator Michelle Eve. Michelle, who is based in the English county of Gloucestershire in the UK, is the creator of the Mystical Times blog where she writes about a wide range of paranormal phenomena, from time slips to ghostly monks, past lives, strange deaths, local folklore, and much more. Michelle grew up in a spiritualist household, and we talk about that early in the interview, before moving on to her time working as a psychic medium, and what that faculty can tell us about the nature of the supernatural. After that, we talk about a local legend that was born out of a tragic rail disaster in the 1920s, and then return to discussing some of the unusual happenings Michelle has experienced and written about, as well as some of the haunted places that are dotted throughout the county of Gloucestershire. It was a very entertaining conversation. Enjoy! Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Rick. So how did your interest in the paranormal start off? Well, we'll have to go back about, well, more than 50 years to when I was three. And uh, I was brought up in a spiritualist family. My family used to attend spiritualist uh, services and be part of the church. And um, it was when I was three, I came down from bed one morning and I told my mother that Granddad James had been reading me stories um she says granddad james is like yes and i you know i went on to explain what he had done what he had said but he had died 20 years before i was born um so i don't know if i remember it or i remember her keep telling the story and he was also um deaf uh, when he was alive and he couldn't speak very well very clearly so um, the more I thought about that growing up, the more I thought, well, maybe when you die, you know, there is something else to this, you know, to, to the end of life. And that sort of grew my curiosity, but in a sort of spiritualist way. And um, I've always gone back to sort of the spiritual nature of things, what I think is the spiritual nature of things, even though, um, you know, I went on to get married and have children. Um, but it always pops back into my life Um, so I've had a lot of um, incidences where it's you know you could class it as paranormal supernatural whichever spin you want to put on it Um, when I had two sons and when my oldest son was three 
we were sitting, me and his one-year-old brother were sitting at the dining room table. I had the windows open and an old biplane went over. And all of a sudden, my oldest son popped up and said, oh, that sounds like the plane that killed me. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, you remember, mum, when I was a man and I was called Stephen. He said, um, and I had that other mum. And I lived in London and my girlfriend used to come round and we'd listen to the radio and we'll go to the pub on the corner. I mean, he's three. He had never, he had never been to a pub um, then and listening to the radio. Well, it was sort of TV when he was little and he got very animated and said, we was all sitting in the front room. He said, mm, and he got up and he threw his arms about and he said, and then a, the, the bomb went off and then there was blood everywhere and we was covered in blood. And, and I just didn't know how to react because <laughs> when your three-year-old is telling you something of what could be a past life, it, you know, you, you, I didn't want to lead him anywhere, but I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. But that was the one and only time he had um, spoken about it. I mean, he's 35 now and um, he doesn't remember it at all. So, yeah, I've had incidences like that one being a very sort of uh, <laughs> um, you know, sort of supernatural type spiritual sort of um, experience that sort of made me sort of question a lot of things. Um, and then as time went on, I split up with my uh, son's uh, father and we were all living in a house. Uh, me and the two boys, and they were teenagers, sort of older teenagers by then. And I won't go into too much because this is something I, I need to talk about and because it's very personal. That house had a lot of um, poltergeist activity and uh, hauntings, and it wasn't just me who witnessed it and experienced it. It was anyone who came into the house. But um, at that time, I really got um, into meditation and um, I started to do mediumistic readings, really sort of proper. I had a manager and, and everything. And I'd go to America because it was quite um, lucrative to go over there at that time um, because they loved like, oh, a British medium, you know, and that was really <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so over there, um, lots of sort of things happened with the readings, obviously things um, that, you don't expect from a reading apart from giving someone evidence that their part their you know loved ones who have passed are still around in some way shape or form um and i speak about one of the times um i was in um a business school because one of my friends um worked at the business school and her colleagues wanted a reading so this particular day I um, was in this room, I'd never been to this uh, school, business school before, sat in the room and of course it's quite nerve-wracking and um, the, the lady come in for her reading and um, she really wanted to hear from her grandfather. She didn't tell me that at the time but that's who came through because I gave her evidence of his name and uh, certain things and um, she was, you know, she felt it was a good reading which you know I was pleased about and then she went back to work in her office in in this business school but when she got back to her computer where she'd been working there was a photograph of her and her sister when they were small children on her key on her keyboard but no one had a copy apart from her parents 
and the grandparents, one of the grandparents who she wanted to communicate with. So she comes running up to me and goes, my God, I found this. I found this photo and telling me that it, it, it startled me. And that's when I found out about um, a port, which means a physical item appears from nowhere. And that really, <laughs> that really um, made me think, wow, what's causing this? You know, something that we can say, oh, it's supernatural, paranormal, which we can't really give proper words for because we can't really describe it. But then it becomes materialistic, you know, it becomes materialistic, like a photograph. Mm. Um, and that just, that just, was, wow. You know, I'm in, I'm in a country where all I really know is like my friend who I'm staying with and other people I'm giving these readings to. I don't know them, never met them before. And then you get this happen. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? What drew you to becoming a medium? Did you feel like you had a, a natural inclination towards something like that? Or, and did growing up in a spiritualist household help? Um, I would imagine growing up in a spiritualist household would help with, with thinking along those lines. And I've always been able to sort of dip in and out of it. Um, I've never been able to totally come away from that sort of side of things. Um, um, but it was just at this time when we lived in this very haunted house that it became so apparent that I was like not receiving messages because that sounds like a bit bonkers, doesn't it? But I was getting getting messages in my dreams and things like that for people. And then when I'd pluck up the courage to tell them, they would be like dumbstruck. Like, how did you know that? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> so that's why I, I become involved in um, like the Taoism with, with meditation and, and things like that and try to take a more philosophical look at things, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, growing up in a spiritualist household, they were open to that. But I don't think they thought, my parents, that is, thought I was a medium, even though at the age of three I saw, you know, my dead grandfather. Um, I think they just took it as part of life <laughs> or death or whichever <laughs> one you want to choose. Um, so, you know, I wasn't like some people say, oh, I grew up in a very sort of strict Christian household and anything like that was, you know, for, for, uh, forbidden, anything to do with the dead. Whereas, um, whereas mine, it was, uh, you know, they were obviously, that was their religion. And, uh, you know, that's the sort of church I went to. Mm. Going back to your son and his experience mm. of what sounds like a, a past life, I'm, I'm interested, yeah. often the way they describe it is like they're describing someone else, but, they, but they're talking about that person being themselves. Do you think that it's maybe sort of um, almost like a, a mediumistic ability that children have, but because they're young, maybe they frame it via themselves? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit like, um, you know, when you have a dream, I'm a prolific dreamer as well uh, you, when you have a dream um and sometimes you see yourself but you're like you know it's you but you're seeing it you're seeing you but in like waking life you're just you can't see you unless you look in a mirror I think mm. it might be a reflection of something of what I don't know but he was so so alive and he, even if oh, oh don't you remember like saying that to me <laughs> I'm like what <laughs> So, 
yeah it's it's hard it's hard it could be that it could be um some memory some like memory in the dna or something i really don't know yeah it's it's fascinating um those experiences i i wonder as well if when you're young i i mean it's a, it's a while since i was a child but perhaps the distinction that children have between the external world and the internal world and and what is reality are they maybe less fixed i suppose yeah yeah because they will come out with things and like oh you know oh look mum i'm a like i'm a snake slithering along the floor and it's like oh yeah yeah what a great snake you are and then you know <laughs> that's it <laughs> so but this this was more informed than a child sort of saying something flippant like that and they're just doing let's pretend it's almost as though the biplane the noise of the biplane woke some memory or whatever you want to call that memory it woke something up in him because he was just so animated by it you know um and also saying that like he lived with his mum and his girlfriend and they listened to the radio in london i mean we didn't live in london i mean i grew up in london but um we lived in buckinghamshire at the time so it causes more questions and it gives answers really but i wish i had gotten a name and a surname i got the stephen and i wish i'd got a um surname then i could have researched it so when you were doing your mediumship how did that how did that work did you learn what to do or was it something that sort of came to you naturally it it i wouldn't it came to me naturally i mean i've been in psychic development um circles but that was like when i was a teenager um and i sort of had that ability then but you know, I was too interested in going out and <laughs> things like that. So, you know, that sort of, you leave that alone. But like I say, it always keeps coming back. So, yeah, that the medium mystic thing, um, it you, you begin to, it's like speaking another language, but it's a framework. So you may be given a vision of something. Like if I felt it was female, it would feel lighter and higher. Yet if it was male, it'd feel heavier and lower, which sounds really mental saying it out loud. But that's how you got it. And then it, I don't know if you like listen to if you listen to the like a waterfall or a fountain and you can hear it, it, it gushing down. And that's how I would hear voices. Sometimes it would be like it'd be like really weird notes. But sometimes they would miss out the beginning of the word and I only hear the second part of it. So say if it was saying um, toadstool, it, it perhaps miss out the, the T and just toadstool, but it would be very whispery, watery. It's really strange to try and explain to someone, but that's how it would be. But sometimes it would be like a shout in my ear and that's quite shocking because it would be like too loud. It, it would either be too silent or too loud. <laughs> mm. So in doing this work, do you, Try not to think too much about about how it works. I'm fascinated by mediums and mediumship. Do you find that you, it's best not to sort of overthink what's happening? Because I suppose I would start asking questions like, "Is this is this the actual person, or is it sort of um, like an aspect of this person?" And you know, does does time exist where this these spirits are? And 
just loads and loads of questions would sort of come to my mind. I, I imagine it's probably best to have a, a clear mind if you're going to be a good medium. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's what Taoism taught me, the, the Eastern sort of philosophy side of it. You have this monkey mind, which <laughs> which you've just described. It's questioning things, examining it, and, you know, looking at the back of it and, you know, doing all this examination and, and trying to make sense out of it. And then you've got this quiet part, which is the, what the meditation brings on. And, and that's where it, you, that's the part of the, your mind or the space in your mind that you use because you know when your monkey mind's coming on because you're thinking, oh, is this right? Oh, they don't look happy. And you have to shut that down. <laughs> and it is difficult, but it, it comes with um, practice. Hmm. So with that in mind, would you say that most ghostly experiences that people have like a haunting or, or actually anything uncanny or that features high strangeness anywhere is is a person for a moment or a period of time connecting with this thing this, this thing that a medium sort of knows how to navigate like a person's ghostly encounter could be them happening upon it for some reason their their frame of mind is in such a place that when they go somewhere they they're able to connect with something Yes, yeah, it's almost like um, like the Earth. If you think of it as a living entity, it, mm. it must, it, and we're living entities as well. I, I, I think, I wonder if it has a memory, and these are like thoughts of the Earth uh, and memories of the Earth or the dreams of the Earth. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, but I do think that we connect into something. What that is, I don't know. I mean... You know, some people will perhaps call it God. Some people will perhaps call it the devils, you know, depending on which way they saw anything paranormal. Um, you know, uh, but I do think it takes us, you have to be in a certain frame of mind to have it because a lot of times these things happen when you're not expecting it. And I, I find, especially if, if like, um, if you, there's a high um, energy um, going about you know like you're having a good time and and that and then something could happen but it's that high energy because your mind is thinking of other things and it's you know being entertained and you're laughing and, and that brings you up if that makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> rather if you go out if you go out looking for it you you're highly unlikely to really come across it too often often Ooh, can't speak too often hmm is it quite um, a draining thing to do, did you find? The mediumship, yeah. yes, very, because I would be um, like the physical side of it. Um, again, just, <laughs> you know, your audience may think I'm bonkers, but that's fine. Um, when I would do the mediumship, I would get how the person died and that would start hurting in the area of my body, which, you know, how they died. Like one one lady came for a reading and... It was a relative who had shot themselves through the mouth. And I felt, I've never obviously shot myself in the mouth, but I felt like my head had been blown open, that type of thing. And you get real pain. It's really bizarre. And it sounds bizarre speaking about it. But when you're in that moment of giving that reading and you're feeling that and you say, look, this is what I'm feeling. And the person just 
like, oh my God, yes, that was, you know, and then they explain. It's like, oh, that makes sense. So, yeah. Hmm. Again, this is probably something I've gotten from pop culture, but as a medium, do you have to do something when you finish a session to make sure that that nothing comes home with you? <laughs> um I didn't, but that's not my thing. I know a lot of people say, "Oh, I've got, I've got guardians and, and spirit, spiritual guides." I've never had any any of that. Um, you know, even growing up in a you know in a spiritualist church, uh, uh, and people say, "Oh, you know, I've got my guide here and this guide there." I've never had anything like that. Perhaps I'm just ignorant of that. I don't know. <laughs> um, that is interesting. And um, when you say that, the name that comes to mind is. Um is Derek Akora because I I mean I was a big fan of Most Haunted in that early era when he was on because he was you know he's yes. very entertaining yeah. um and yes, his spirit was. guide yes. was was Sam who was it was a, he was from ancient Egypt I think when he was yeah or from Ethiopia it's like yeah yeah like yes <laughs> and and okay that maybe that's not what Sam was but it could be like a if I was going to say what I thought it was, it's like you give the the part of your mind that has this ability a name and then it helps you do the thing you do. I mean, I know that Derek Akola was kind of caught out, you know, faking mm-hmm. things. But I, I, again, as a, as a medium, I can imagine that it, there must be a lot of pressure to to deliver results and even, you know, you can't be right all the time. So I, I am quite sympathetic in that regard. I, I can appreciate how there must be so much pressure on you to constantly deliver yeah I mean um you know if someone's not happy then someone's not happy I think I've only had one duff reading and I've done hundreds so um at least that's <laughs> at least I've only known about one duff one she just wouldn't respond well you know what I was getting she just uh well uh mm. and it's like okay so I just gave her what I could get um and it went on for about an hour and a half um and she just like no nah, none of that makes sense it's like okay then i'm sorry about that but <laughs> so yeah you, you you know you won't get it right all the time but um i suppose i've been lucky in the sense that i've only had one real duff one so <laughs> yeah, that's good <laughs> <laughs> so um have you ever used your um, medium abilities in a what might be classed as a sort of non-usual setting so like in a in a wood or or out and about in the countryside or at a castle or an ancient building and not not as um part of doing your job but just with having that ability i'm i'm curious if it means that you have um unusual encounters in those places because of your awareness in that regard mm. I think it's more of a it's more of the sort of psychic thing. You pick up a sort of remnants. Like today, um, went out for a, a Sunday lunch, and I kept I kept saying to my partner, "There used to be a train station here, and I could like see it with my mind's eye, and I could see the tracks and that." Um, and there was no internet there, so I couldn't like look it up to see if I was right. And then when we got back on the road to uh, come back home, got on the internet, and there was. And it was just across the field from where we were sitting. And it was a hamlet as well. So it was, how did I know that? And I'm still amazed that I can do that. Um, but mediumistic-wise, no, I tend not to sort of use that that part. I mean, I'll pick things up, 
But I, I guess I call that psychic <laughs> rather than mediumistic. Mm. Yeah. Talking of railways, there's a, a really interesting um, article on your blog about a railway accident back in the 1920s in Charlfield and and a sort of an, uh, an odd legend that kind of arose from that. Yes. So what you're referring to is what I've entitled The Ghost Children of the Ra- Railway Tracks, which happened in Charfield in Gloucestershire back in 1928. And there was a horrific train crash. And it wasn't just the crash. It was a night train that um, collided with a mail train. And um, it burst into flames. And a lot of the passengers, unfortunately, died in that accident and um there was um obviously because of the nature of it being a fire there wasn't whole bodies found but parts and they found the torsos of two children and these children were never claimed so obviously rumors went around that these weren't children these were actually jockeys obviously small in stature, aren't they, jockeys, or that they're actual mannequins, which, you know, is quite distasteful to say either of those things because, you know, these are someone's children. One was around the age of sort of five to nine and the other one was 12 to 14. So there's this um, plaque by the railway near where the accident happened and the children are just... um, named on there as too unknown and it was around 1929 so like a year later after the accident happened that there would be um, someone would see this older looking lady dressed from head to toe in black who'd be driven to that memorial stone and she would put flowers on there and look like she was in prayer and she would always arrive in like a, a, a big car like a limousine, whatever the 1920s equivalent is to that. And then um, apparently it stopped abruptly in the 1950s. No one saw her again. But people, you know, would say that they had seen her, a little old lady, and obviously she got older as time went on, um, and they thought maybe she had something to do with the children, but why wouldn't she have come forward and claimed them if they were perhaps her grandchildren or her nieces and nephew? So it that's very odd. It is, yeah. Um, for for me, it just it has all the components to sort of, I wouldn't say explain the mystery of things like this, but you have the the, the tragic event, and you have the the people who don't have an identity, and I think as well, the local undertaker he had to make you know coffins for the remains of the people that died, and he made two small boxes as well, and. All these things that, if you look at them, you, there is a sort of a rational explanation. But you, but you put it all together, and and you know, and like you mentioned, someone starts sort of every year attending the the memorial. And for me, it just sort of it's this like little microcosm of of how legends and folklore are born. They're they're sort of a combination of memories and and misidentification, and not in a bad way. But for for me, that the event and the and the mystery about the the children it's an interesting example of how people tell stories to help understand things yeah it 
Is it like with the 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 two child size ghost figures that are seen on the railway track? Now I could not find a witness for that at all. What I think could be happening as well is that these children, for whatever reason, they've been forgotten by their loved ones for whatever reason. We don't know that reason, but it's almost like they're being kept alive. One with this lady. Um, you know, visiting the memorial stone, and two with these ghost figures. It's like they're still alive, but in story, in, in you know, in a story rather than in real life. And and perhaps it's the guilt people of perhaps of of the village felt guilt that they couldn't rescue them, and even in death they couldn't find their loved ones. I mean, it is it it you. You know, if that happened these days, there'd be a, a total uproar about it and people, you know, be doing their utmost to try and seek out, you know, who these children belong to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it's interesting as well, if if people see ghostly phenomena and you can't sort of validate what that imagery, what the imagery of the of the ghost relates to, it's, that, that that's interesting about ghosts as well. I mean, I'm always... When someone asks me if I believe in ghosts, I'll, what I'll say is that it's, I think ghosts exist, but I don't know what they are. I think there's multiple yes. explanations for what quote unquote ghosts are. And it, it's, yeah, I believe in ghosts, but I don't know what they are either. Um, life after death, I, yeah, I guess, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And that's what's so interesting about this journey. And, the experiences and that i mean ghosts it's like yeah you, it in the confines of a church or a reading it's easy to kind of believe that because you're being presented or presenting evidence that that couldn't be known unless someone would spine on you or you know researched you etc etc so there's something there but what it is i don't know i mean people call it the trickster because mm. it does it does play tricks, but having said that about ghosts, it's like the paranormal is more than ghosts, isn't it? It's like the cryptids and weird creatures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say that <laughs> everything is ghosts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, it it comes from like seeing things that you don't usually see or you can't really explain. Yeah, bizarre stuff. Yeah. I think it's more likely that a lake monster is the ghost of a of a plesiosaur rather than a living plesiosaur. I, yes, bizarrely yes. to say, I think it's more rational to say that the Loch Ness monster is a a dinosaur ghost rather than a dinosaur. But it doesn't make it any less valid. <laughs> no, no, of course not, of course not. And again, going back to my sort of, I'm still thinking it through about the Earth showing showing up memories. That could be yeah. a memory of this creature back when it was alive. And that could be, you know, you see mm. that as as the creature, and it's it's solid, it, you know. Yeah, I get. Is it okay to talk about my cryptid experience? Oh, absolutely, always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, okay, so in America, okay, I'm with my two um, uh, friends, and they want to go. And this is around Halloween. Uh, they want to go into this particular um, cemetery. Um, at night and I'm thinking ah 
are you allowed in the cemetery at night? Don't forget, you know, I'm I'm in your country, and if we break the rules, I'll get put in, in jail. I've seen cops and all that, you know, <laughs> being a bit silly about it. But um, we kept visiting this particular cemetery, um, uh, you know, during the daylight hours. But this time, my friend, she was adamant, no, we must go. And this was about nine o'clock at night, and it's quite dark then because it had, uh, yeah, it just just after Halloween. And this is this cemetery. It's very different to British English cemeteries. By they have a lot of flat um, headstones on the floor and a lot of uh, like solar lights, and um, and you it's a drive-through as well. So we parked the car up. So as we got out the car, the slope of here where all the graves are is on the right. The gravel path is um, in the middle where we'll be walking. And to our left, there is quite a big lake because <laughs> I'm, I'm in uh, Minnesota, you know, state of 10,000 lakes. So there's hardly any cars on the road and we're walking through and I'm feeling uneasy. And I'm thinking, am I feeling uneasy? Because if we got arrested, there's no fence or gate or anything around it. Um, if I got arrested, I'm going to be put in prison. And, you know, that's scary. Um, but I just felt an unease. And I'd actually taped this experience. Um, I had my digital voice recorder on me. And on the tape, uh, you can hear me going, mm, I'm not very comfortable with this. And you can hear us walking on the gravel. My friend on the, the right, she's videoing the, the graves. And we're there for ghosts and EVPs, you know. And my friend <laughs> made sure I was in the middle. And my friend on the left, she was sort of nearer to the, the lake and it had about um, three foot of grass verge between the lake and the uh, path we was walking on. And then we're walking, I'm still feeling uneasy and I'm starting to feel more uneasy. And all of a sudden <laughs> I, I stop and I say, what's that? And I've shone this torch at this creature I'm getting goosebumps to talk about it now because it's just weird. And my friend on the left said, I see it too. And it's this creature. It's about seven, seven foot tall, seven and a half foot tall. And it's black and it's blacker than the black night sky. It, it's pigmentation is so black. And what it looks like, it looks like... <laughs> It sounds really weird. It looks like it's some creature and it's holding its its arm, but that's got a, like a leather looking wing on it and it's covering up its, its head. And then I look at that and I take in the texture of these wings. They're like a leathery rubber. And I sort of just pan the torch down and it's actually coming out of the lake across the grass, but it's made no noise and onto the gravel path. And I just went, I don't like it here. And me and my friend who saw it, we just ran back to the car, leaving my poor other friend there on her own. And she's got the car keys. And and we got, <laughs> she comes after us. We get in the car and she said, you saw a deer. I said, no, I know what a deer looks like. That is not a deer. It was black, it was big. And I said to my other friend, what did you see? And she saw exactly the same, this winged creature covering up its, its head. It was bizarre. And she, she made me really frightened because she said, right, I'm driving through on this gravel path. 
And I was going, no, don't. It might still be there. It made no noise. <laughs> but she's just adamant we saw a deer. But she drove through and I looked out. There was nothing there. There was absolutely nothing there. But me and my, this other friend had seen it as clear as day. I've still got it in my mind because it was, it, it, I don't know what it was. It was long, like a snake, but it had these wings. I don't know what it was. It was thick and long and, oh, yes. <laughs> so that really made me think, well, there's more to this than just ghosts and spirits. There's something else going on here. Yeah, yeah. So was it humanoid? No, it was, if you had to push me, if you put a gun to my head and say, right, you've got to say what this creature was, I would have said it was a winged creature, perhaps a dragon. But it had covered up its its face with its wing. It almost like it was frightened of these torchlights. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> Minnesota, I think that has, um, like a largely, it was set up by Scandinavians, wasn't it? I think. Yes, a lot of uh, Norwegian people definitely are there. Yes, I I kind of like the idea that when you know when people settle somewhere, if, they, if they've come a long way, they sort of they bring their a lot of sort of metaphysical baggage with them, apart from along with the real baggage. Yeah. So they bring their folklore with them and their their connection to the other world. I mean, it could be something from the you know the indigenous people too. Well, yes, I mean. I looked that up and I looked up um, uh, Mothman, but it had, I couldn't see its eyes, so it wasn't red, it wasn't humanoid. Um, I looked up, um, oh, what's that big, the, the big, the big bird, it's like a, a 10 foot wingspan. Oh, Thunderbird? That's what, Thunderbird, that's it. But that didn't, it, it wasn't a bird, it was a ser- serpent of some kind, I don't know. That's amazing. No, uh, it's, it, it's pretty it's, cool that you might have seen a dragon. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, whatever it was, it was blooming scary, but it seemed to be frightened of our torches, hence why it was covering up its eyes. That's that's all I can think of. I mean, what would it have done? Come out of the lake and gone up the hill over the graves? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. The the graveyard is a, another aspect to think about. I mean, who knows? There could be somebody, some sort of occultist, a wizard of someone buried in the cemetery then it's this it's this guardian or you just don't know <laughs> well there was nothing peculiar about or, or different rather not peculiar different about any headstones they just sort of seem much of the same and with a photo just you, your average type of headstones there was nothing to make you think mm, you know but then that could be just their family doing that for them um you know, whether there was an occultist there or what. But the interesting thing was, I mentioned this lake. Two weeks before our visit there, it had a fountain and um, teenagers had gone in and broke up the fountain. So I thought, well, maybe that's some sort of um, guard of this lake. I don't know. I Could don't know. be. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, you try to think about, you know, your average sort of thing oh it could have been this it could have been that now if I'd seen it myself and just myself I'd have thought oh Michelle that's you know you you know you see certain things and that's perhaps just one of them as weird as it was Um, but my friend's seen it as well and describing it the same 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. I think when a person is by themselves and they and they have this sort of encounter, it's still absolutely valid and and meaningful. But it's but it feels more that it's almost meant for that person. Like it's this, it's an experience that is meant to sort of let that person know that there's there's more to reality than they realize. But when more than one person sees it, that gives it more objectivity in in our world and 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 at that point you're like what's going on why is there a why is there a dragon in that cemetery (laughs) yeah i mean that still perplexes me and i i I try not to think too much about it because that's of all the sort of weird things i've experienced and encountered and that that's the weirdest and that that's a, a scared um, apart from living in a haunted house where I had to leave, um, that's the only time I've been scared, and my and I had the recording of. I don't have that recording anymore because it's it's about sort of six laptops ago, <laughs> and um, I don't think I put it on a CD drive because um, I didn't like listening to it. But I, I do recall that I was just I don't like it here, and I just ran. So that's 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 me being scared. <laughs> was there any? information of other people seeing something like that in that place the the only thing um i found is people would see those lights thinking it's car headlights but two um orbs of lights beams of lights and that's it wow that is all that i've been able to find out it's very spooky but cool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from my it point is. of view, I didn't experience it, so what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, I tried to sort of, you try and rationalise it, but you just think, look, I saw what I saw. I had a witness. They saw it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm just really perplexed by that. Mm, I, <laughs> I completely understand. <laughs> um. Something else that you feature in your blog um, that I also mm-hmm. find really interesting are time slips. Oh, yes. Yeah, just talk a little bit about those and, and some of the examples that you've covered. Yeah, I'll um, give you an example. Now, I have to say, because um, I had to uh, make sure that I've covered the author and the researcher, mm-hmm. the, the, one, the ones I have about Liverpool come from Dr. Anne Winsper from Parascience. So I have to make that clear that um, she did the research on this and obviously I wrote my own sort of version. But what I found is that a lot of time slips, the weather goes a bit odd. So this first one, this was in Bold Street. Now Bold Street's quite renowned for these time slips and that's in Liverpool. And it was in the 80s, um, this lady, I've called her Carol, and she worked in the city centre of Liverpool. And this particular day, it was nice weather, so she sat opposite, it was Waterstones Bookshop then, I don't know if it still is, in Bold Street, to eat her lunch. And she noticed there was a smart-dressed man at the other end of the bench. Um, And then she said he looked sort of smart, but... It looked a little bit like 1930s, 50s dress, you know, like the, the suit and, and trouser and shoes sort of thing. And um, 
then she noticed that the like it felt she said like there was a, like an eclipse of the sun so it went slightly dark and everyone around the busy city centre in Liverpool a lot of Bold Street they all seemed to kind of hush and it become more empty and the man turned to this Carol and began to make small talk with her so you know Carol being friendly she sort of chatted back to him and she unpacked her sandwiches and that and as she went to turn to put her, her wrappings of her sandwich in in the bin that was next to the bench the man was asking her a question and she just popped her her litter in the bin turned around and he was gone gone and she's like where did he go where did he go and then the sun started to come in and it started to get noisy and the people there was people there again so it's really strange it's really strange that she actually interacted with this man who disappeared and the weather changed and it all went quiet for busy city center that's that's really weird <laughs> so you know she she wasn't one to believe in paranormal things but this she was perplexed by absolutely perplexed yeah i mean yeah, you would be, wouldn't you? <laughs> mm. Yes, definitely. I mean, yeah, just the, just the change in the weather. But a lot of um, sort of paranormal experiences, I think it may be because, like we were talking earlier about your mind, perhaps goes in, you use a different part of your brain, your mind, you know, to sort of connect. Maybe that's what happened. And maybe that's why, like, the sun faded. There was less noise. It almost sounds like a kind of meditation where you go into your yourself um and you're fully in that moment but it, it's weird <laughs> yeah i i think that's a that's a really good point you make i wonder if people can go into what is essentially a meditative state more easily than they imagine and then mm. that's part of what might be happening yeah i don't know but no i like that idea <laughs> it it that you're, mm. you're sort of, um, like, time is less apparent. Because I, it's not quite the same, but and I know that when I, like, I go for a run, there'll just be a point where I'm running and I won't be thinking about anything else and, and you know, time and things like that won't, it won't occur to me to think about those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I mean, I haven't gone on a run and, and started running along someone from, the past but I do understand what it's like to be in a what isn't traditionally seen as a meditative state but it's similar to one yeah you're in a yeah you're in a zone because when you're like running like you say you get to that point where that's that's all you're sensing it's your whole body and mind all together doing whatever it's doing in your case it's running you know and people think meditation is just sort of being really quiet but you can meditate while you're like sewing or you're like playing guitar you know you're painting <laughs> it could be anything because you're just in that very moment yeah yeah absolutely and if that lady who had that experience if she was looking forward to having a lunch and knew where she and planned to have that lunch on that bench then by doing that she sort of 
fulfilling her future uh, yeah she's fulfilling well yeah she's she's made these plans so she's just going along she knows where she's going to sit and she knows what she's got so it's very you know she doesn't have to really think you know like oh is this bench free is that bench free so okay I'll have my lunch she's made a plan and she's just doing it she's she's um reenacting those thoughts in her head but in you know physically so Maybe that frees her mind up to have a time slip experience. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a interesting way of looking at it. Um, another one, another one that you cover on your blog is sort of the, a different type of time slip where it isn't the person that slips, but a building does. And I know you talk about um, a house that's been seen between two villages in Suffolk. I, I found that really interesting and kind of a little creepy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The strange case of the house that slips through time. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of um, sort of really more in depth than mine. Um, you know, I'm, I feel that when there's a subject like this, I've been I've been done. You know, really research and in depth. I don't really need to do too much. It just gives someone an idea. You know, if they want to sort yeah. of look into it a bit more. And there's more, you know, <laughs> more research on this. But uh, yes, this um, this was an area between Bradfield, Bradfield, sorry, St. George and Ruffham Green in Suffolk. Um, and it's a strange phenomena which has been witnessed uh, by many through the last 160 years. So, yeah, and people have witnessed um, a beautiful red brick Georgian style house. But when they tried to find it again, there's nothing there. It's just a field. So um, the first documentation of this happening was in 1860. So this gentleman called Robert Palfrey, he was enjoying an evening stroll on a June evening um, in the fields of Ruffham Green, and he felt a chill in the air. And as he sensed this chill, there we go, we got the weather again, um, uh, he saw this, <laughs> what appeared to be a very large house along with a garden that was in full bloom and it just disappeared right in front of his eyes so this chill came it made him look and then he saw this house only for it to disappear seconds later <laughs> it's like what <laughs> so that that is strange and then and then it was 52 years later that robert palfrey the gentleman who's taken the stroll it was his great grandson James Cobold, hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, who was also to experience the same house appearing. <laughs> so um, he was riding a pony and trap with his uh, friend and the temperature dropped and the pony reared up in fear and the both men fell from the trap. And both of the men said they heard like a whooshing noise through the air as if being moved by a force. And it was then that they saw this Georgian style house complete with gardens in what would have been an empty field and they were just like too shocked to speak and they just like looked at each other like what 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 because you know they knew this route and they knew this just was a field and then a mist come over the house and then it just vanished <laughs> that's really creepy i'll i'll um have one of the yeah that was more creepy than my cryptid thing so yeah but his friend when they they got the you know the the shock was over with and they the, him and his friend this James and his friend 
uh, spoke about it. His friend said, that's the third time I've seen that. And James is like, what? So, yeah, that's um, that's just bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. And then it was another two people who had seen this house. So this was around 16 years later from the James Cobold. And it was this um, 23-year-old teacher um, who was called Ruth Wynn and her 10-year-old pupil. And they were out just taking a stroll. And, um, and they followed a path which led them to a boundary wall on what seemed to be a sort of large estate. And the wall was green and yellow in colour and it had huge iron gates. And the gates seemed to, um, before a, to be for a very long driveway with a large house at the top of the drive. So, you know, they had actually touched the wall and seen this driveway and the gates. So that when they went back home, they were asking about this house, like, oh, we've seen this house. To whom does it belong to? It's obviously, you know, not a lot of people live around that area, but no one knew. And when they went um, to investigate on another day, it was just overgrown greenery with large bramble bushes. But they did find some old ponds in that area, which would have been where you know, it would have been whether um, the house had had it in the, guard, in the gardens. So, yeah. And then one more time, <laughs> this house, and one more time, it was in the uh, 1940s, and there was a gentleman called Edward Bentley, and he was delivering clothing catalogues by car to the people in the rural area, because that's how they could, you know, get some more choice of clothes. And he was travelling with two other people, and they saw this large Georgian red brick house. So thinking, hey, someone rich lives there, let's see if they want a catalogue. <laughs> so they turn the car around and <laughs> when they come up to the road where they'd seen the house, there was no house there. It's very odd. <laughs> it's very I mean, odd. I, sorry. And no, go on. The, the thing that is crucial is if there was a house there, if they can find like the a map or a or something that indicates there was a house there then that's interesting but even but even if they don't part of me would be more fascinated if they didn't because this disappearing and disappearing house it makes me think of um of fairy lore yes where people i haven't heard of it being a, a grand house but i've definitely heard of of, a, of people on a walk and they'll see like a, a hill in a field and like a doorway or there'll be there'll be something that will sort of want to encourage them in to go somewhere yeah, some, some music or uh, singing yeah. yeah yeah and i don't know it i read this blog post about this house and it is a bit unsettling um it is. <laughs> because it feels like something is trying to lure people in it make and it makes me think of um I'm not sure if this is a thing in the UK, but in America, there are lots of reports of people finding staircases in the woods. Now, yeah, that was, I think that was made up. Yeah, there's a creepypasta. Yes. Yeah, yeah, or Reddit or something like that. I yeah, remember, yeah, I remember reading about, oh, about 2009 and it become a thing. And then, you know, it was said, oh, this is just spooky stories. It, there wasn't anything to it, but. Yeah, would you climb those stairs if you saw them? No way, no. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I probably would halfway, halfway. Okay, you're, you're braver than me. I mean, I think you're right. I, I know that in forests, they'll have, especially in American forests, they do have big fire towers. So yes. if there was one of the, if there was one of them and that had sort of rotted away, I mean, that would be like a, there would be more like a straight up stepladder. It wouldn't be a staircase, but still um, that sort of disappearing and reappearing grand house um, is a great story, but it did give me the chills. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, the last sighting was what I what you know it was two thousand and seven, so not that long ago, really. Considering no, it, it no. goes back one hundred and sixty years, so I think I might have to pay that area a visit. Yeah, well, <laughs> well be careful if you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a house near that area that was built, and there was um, fragments of a yellow and green wall found. But there's no real plans mm. of, of a house being there or, you know, uh, either on paper or on the land. It's bizarre. And it's very bizarre. We're almost out of time, but I just want to end our chat by talking about a village that you've written quite a lot about, um, which is local to you. Prestbury. That's a spooky old place. <laughs> it It is a spooky old place. I didn't realise just just how spooky it was um yeah i mean uh, uh, uh let me just talk about the um the most seen ghost and that will be the black abbot a monk ghost <laughs> yes a monk yes <laughs> the black abbot specter as i like to call it sounds better than oh, the black monk ghost <laughs> but you know that that's me you know um yes there's uh yeah he's known as a black abbot I don't know why it's an actual abbot rather than just monk, you know. Um, but um, he's been seen here, there and everywhere. But um, Presbury means priest's fortified place from the Anglo-Saxon words priest, meaning priest, and burr, meaning fortified manor. It's been mentioned in the Doomsday Book, but there was a priory, and I cannot pronounce it. I did try. It's, it's, it's Welsh, and I, I can't. Can't do that. <laughs> so there used to be a monastic outpost in Presbury from this priory in Wales, um, and um, there's a cottage next to the graveyard because in Presbury the church is kind of the middle of the village, and you can walk from one side to the other. It's several different ways of, of doing it. Um, so there was a lot of monks there at the time. And now this cottage, this monk, um, abbot, spectre, ghost, um, walks through the wall of this cottage, which is by um, the, the church and the graveyard. But back in the day, the cottage this black abbot, monk, ghost <laughs> is seen to go into, um, it was said to be the mortuary for the monks. For when monks were living in Presbury at the time, um, when they died, they'd be laid out, um, dressed in sackcloth and ashes, and all the monks would come in and uh, wash his body, say mass, and the body would be surrounded by candles, and they would um, dress him, the, the dead monk, in the monastic robes, and then clasp his hands together as though in prayer, and the monks would take it in turns to um, 
pray over him so he can go to heaven. So, you know, that makes me think, I wonder why that black monk abbot ghost is going through the wall. And that could, that could be why, because obviously there's a lot of emotion there of, you know, of one of their brothers dying and that. Um, and he's also been spotted, this figure, on a tombstone in the churchyard by the then vicar. And the vicar's like, who's sitting on that, you know, flat um, tombstone? And as he walked up to it, it just disappeared. And it's also been seen walking um, in front of the pub, which is the other side of the uh, churchyard. And it's even gone in the street <laughs> across the road. And people have had to swerve, slam on their brakes because they say it's as solid as like you and I. So, um, yeah, he's the most seen one. He's the most seen. And there's the cottage that this figure is seen to walk into the wall of. Um, when that was sold to people who weren't from the village, they had lots of poltergeist activity. And um, one of these things that happened was they were used to like the bangs and the, and the, 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 the sounds of footsteps and that, but they were talking with the builders and saying, this is what we need doing, going through the plans. And there was a plant pot which was hanging up and they started swaying from side to side in front of the, the people who owned the, the cottage and the builders. And all of a sudden it just tipped and smashed on the floor. And of course, like anyone would, they ran out. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's been seen a lot, a lot. Uh, whether it's the same one, but there is a... Um, a photo on the website under Spooky Sunday, which is dated the, the 1st of the 8th, 2021, where someone captured what they think is this um, black monk, black abbot, spectre ghost, which, uh, which was in the graveyard when he took these photos. So it's quite unnerving, that photo. Mm. The, the buildings of that village, and the the church is such an old and permanent part of the village you can you can imagine that it that that building has a lot of memories it it's not unsurprising that that people have seen this sort of ghost in this place well yeah well added to that there's quite a few <laughs> um ghosts and hauntings in the village of Presbury and um one of the, um, the ones I've written about is um, Idsall it's House, which used to be called the Clevelands. And there's apparently an underground stream that runs through the driveway. It's now business offices, I think. It runs through the driveway, through the churchyard, round to these cottages. So, again, you've got water um, element of hauntings. I mean... I, I think there's some connection there with this underground stream. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Michelle, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I've had a really nice time. If people want to find out more about yourself and your blog, how best do they do that? Well, they can find my website at mysticaltimesblog.com. And I'm uh, there. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to put that information in the show notes. That's lovely. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Michelle. The Mystical Times blog is a treasure trove of information on interesting paranormal cases, so definitely check it out if you enjoyed this episode. Please also consider rating it wherever you listen and sharing it on social media as it really helps some of the sphere to grow and find new listeners. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and subscribe on most of the well-known podcast platforms. You can also support some of the sphere with a donation via Ko-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at SphereHQ, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, take good care of yourselves and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.